So I love the privilege of kind of preaching God's word. Here's how I feel preaching sometimes. Sometimes I feel like preaching, it's like trying to get my old Nintendo games to turn on. So if you're in my generation, you'll know what I'm saying. If you're younger than me and you got like a PlayStation 17, like be quiet. But you know, if you grow up playing Nintendo like me, man, you'd hit that button and it didn't always turn on. Come on. And you just keep hitting that button and you knew your next move. You pulled that thing out and you blew in it. Right? You know, you put the Nintendo in, come on, man, turn on. And everybody had their own, like, technique. I used to blow in each end, like, that was mine. And you just hope it didn't always turn on. You're like, please. And just over and over, you just do it, and you keep doing that. You keep blowing on it, and you keep hitting that button, and you just hope it's like, come on, just like one time. One time, come on. Wait, wait. Yes. Yes. So all of you around my age are feeling contra right now. Everybody younger than that is like appalled, like, that's what video games used to look like? Yes! And we loved it. Some of you are doing like the code, the contra in your head right now. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. So, some of that's how I feel. Because this passage that we're going to get into, it is this, I can't have contra on behind me. I got to change the slide. It is a beautiful picture of the heart of Redemption Chapel. And it doesn't matter how many times we say it over and over. You don't have to be this good person that has it all together and you have enough religion to make God love you. That is not the gig. The gig is you can be a broken, busted sinner. You can have a relationship with God today through Christ. And we say it every week, and this is a perfect picture of that. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit breathes that over you, and it just doesn't click. It just doesn't take. And so I've been praying. I've just been praying. No matter what, I want to do my best to look at this text. And I just hope God speaks to you this morning. That's the great hope, that you would hear from him. All right, we're going to turn, and we're going to read. This is, again, just a beautiful portrayal of just relationship, not religion. And a lot of what I want you to start thinking about is first starting with how do we see ourselves? Do you have a healthy view of self? I'm gonna ask you this question in a little bit, but I wanna kind of plant that seed. You know, are you a good person? And I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we dive into this text. So we're in Luke 18. I'm gonna pick it up in verse nine. I'm gonna throw it on the screen and read it. Please follow along. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up in the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, he stood by himself and prayed, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this here, dirty, dirty tax collector, God. See me, God, you know I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. On the other hand, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven and he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So these two men, you see, Jesus tells this parable. 
And we kind of lose some of the punch of it because we don't really relate to Pharisees and tax collectors anymore. But to just kind of reiterate, you know, why did Jesus choose these two characters for the parable? The Pharisee would have been, for them, the epitome of holiness. I mean, these guys, you see all the religion that they had, even went above and beyond what God called for. God never demanded you got to fast twice a week. These guys fasted twice a week. I want you to picture that as like donut is like crumbling down all of your faces right now. Like these guys wouldn't even eat two days a week. They, taught, these, they were the epitome of holiness that they would have been seeing. The tax collector, on the other hand, was kind of the epitome of a sinner. In their culture, they would have viewed these guys as vile and disgusting. If you've never heard why, to understand that, so God's people, the Jews, were taken over by the Romans. So the Romans were the ruling government. And so how they ruled, how they got their taxes, so if you had to pay money to Uncle Sam or Uncle Caesar, as the case may be, how would Uncle Caesar get his money? He would hire Jews, and that they would get the taxes from their own people. Think about that. So these people were traitors. The very people oppressing them, they would work for them, and then here was the deal. Rome said, hey, give us this much. Anything you get on top of that, you keep So they would get rich, gouging their own people, being a traitor to the Roman government and backstabbing their own people. Now you could see a little bit of how those guys were just seen as disgusting. And that's how Jesus is setting it up. And I don't even think we can have parallels, you know, like think of the shock of this story as Jesus used those two. You know, like a pastor goes into church, you know, this drug dealer who sells drugs to kids going to church and you find out, wait a minute, the drug dealer is the one who ends up justified. It would have been shocking to them. Whoa, what do you mean? Some of this, and I would say much of this comes down to the difference of how these two men saw themselves. And that's what I want you to wrestle with this morning because how you see yourself is gonna determine how you approach God, which is gonna determine how you experience God. So do you have a healthy, correct view of self? Many of you are on this journey. I know everybody... Some of you are probably into Enneagram and what's your number and one through nine, all this. I, I have developed a very simple system so you can know yourself. I don't have nine categories. I have two, and you've got to pick one. Are you a one? Are you a two? So I want you to really wrestle with this question. You know, I asked you out of the gate, are you a good person? Are you a good person or a bad person? This is extremely pivotal in your relationship with God having a correct view of self. And that kind of sets us up for a difficult dilemma though, right? Because even like some of those, like, I don't want to be, don't box me in, I'm not a four, I'm a five. We don't like to be boxed in because we kind of wish, like, Jesus, can can I get like a third circle, right? Isn't that what most of us want when I say you're good or bad? Like, I mean, come on, I'm kind of kind of good. I'm mostly good, but I did go to college, so I'm not all good, you know? Like, there's that one thing that, you know? And that's how we mostly want to see ourselves. Are you good or bad? You don't want to say, I'm not good, but I'm not bad. So let me say mostly good. And that's why I love the way Jesus told this parable. It's brilliant. He forces you, he pushes caricatures of the epitome of good and the epitome of bad, and then we got to identify which one are you. And here's the deal. Even if you kind of know the right answer, you know, I saw some of you like, I knew the right answer was bad. I'm bad. Yeah, you're self-righteous and you're a Pharisee too, so I got you. (laughs) 
But here's the deal. By and large, we'll give lip service. Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not great. I'm not perfect. <clears throat> but by and large, at the core, I think particularly in our culture, we default, we see ourselves as good people. That's the message, right? Trust yourself. You're, you need to love yourself. Love yourself. You are beautiful as you are. You're a good person. I mean, we're bombarded with this, and most of us start there in default. I'm not saying you have to hate yourself. You can have amazing value and worth in God's eyes, but still be broken and not the person you should be. But we start there. And if you read the story with me, you know the next dilemma of starting there, of how we view ourselves really affects how we approach God. And so I was really wrestling with this. I mean, my hope for you this morning is that you would have a healthy, and by healthy, I was trying to set you up a little bit. No, I have a healthy view. I'm a good person. I define healthy as accurate, an accurate view of yourself because that determines so much of how you're gonna approach God. And dead set for me that I had to figure this out. You know how I did it? I can prove to you that all of us think we're good because of Dunkin' Donuts. Some of you are confused. I haven't explained it yet. Chill out, let me get there. So I was dead set on this as I was wrestling through, man, you know, how do we see ourselves? So I just set out to prove it. And so everybody at Dunkin' Donuts thinks they're a good person. You're sitting there asking yourself, like, come on, did you just go up to every person at Dunkin' Donuts and ask them if they're a good person or a bad person? Yeah, that's what I did. So I went around as I'm preparing for the sermon. I felt like it was like God like pushing me. So I just went up to every stranger in Dunkin' Donuts and asked them if they're a good person or a bad person. You're like, come on, no, you didn't. That'd be so weird. Yeah, it was weird. It was real weird. And I seriously, I did it. And I'm, I, I even chickened out the first time. You know, like sometimes when you feel like God calling you to do something, there's like that nervous, like, oh, should I do it? Should I mention Jesus? Should I not? You know, so that happened to me. Because I picked the guy that was a gentleman under the stairs by himself. And so I picked him first because I'm like, if it's like over the top weird, I don't want other people hearing this. So I just went to the guy and the first time I bailed out, I totally chickened out. I'm like, man, I'm gonna go talk to this guy. I'm like, no, nah, it's too weird. It's too weird. I can't do it. And so I turned back and pretend to get on my phone and I get myself a pep, pep talk like, come on, don't be a punk. You're a pastor. Do this. And so I just went up and this guy's working on, by himself. I'm like, hey, uh, ooh, it, it, I, you, you don't know me. This, so... I, I, you're busy, I'm gonna let you go in a second, but are you a good person or a bad person? And I just asked him, and he told me he's good. I said, I'm sorry for this, have a good day. And so I just walked away. And I walked up to everybody in Dunkin' Donuts and asked them if they were good. And again, even if, you know, you knew like the right answer, I should see myself as a sinner, I think at the core, all of us come down, we think we're good. Now, all of us would give lip service to we're sinners. But I even think that you notice this guy, this Pharisee in his view of God, he gave lip service to God. Like it starts that, okay, I thank God. And then he turns into a me monster and he talks about himself five times the amount he talks about God. So we need to peel back the layer a little bit because it's not just, oh yeah, no, I know I'm a sinner and I believe in God. It's deeper than that. Everybody who's self-righteous doesn't know they're self-righteous. And that's where I think this parable, that's why Jesus told this parable. Because sometimes, you know, like that thing, how like you, you can smell, but you're the only person who can't smell yourself. It's like scary. You're like, dang, no, I'm good, I'm good. But no, you, just because you can't smell your own self-righteousness doesn't mean you don't stank, because you do. 
And so we got to peel that back. Okay, I can give the right answer, but at the core, how do I really see myself and how do we get there? Because this, to me, particularly in our culture, is the starting point. We all think we're good. But now did you read the story that plays out in our relationship with God and it doesn't look good for us when we start there. So how do we get there? How do we get to this place where we think we're a good person? We use a horizontal standard. What do I mean by that? Well, how did the Pharisee get to the point? Now, I mean, Luke does my job. He says right out of the gate what this is about. Someone who felt like he was righteous on his own. What did he do? He got up and prayed, and he looked at other people. So our standard of good is we compare ourselves to everybody else. Did you notice the convenience of who he compared himself to? Now, this would have been a corporate prayer time. There would have been a lot of other people. He didn't compare himself to the decent gentleman next to him who was praying. He looks around and finds, like, the dirtiest sinner around. He's like, oh, I'm definitely better than that guy. Look at that, uh, that nasty tax collector. Tell me you don't do that. I've had people say this exact thing to me. It seems like a silly caricature. Do you know how many people have told me this? He says, oh, I'm good in my own. You know why? Well, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a robber, I'm not a murderer. Do you know how many times I've heard that? And how many of you think that? When I asked you, you're a good person, what'd you do? You thought of the news and all them dirty people out there and said, well, I'm not a murderer. You know, I don't rob people, therefore I must be good. We think that God judges on a curve and that as long as we're better than the worst of society, we'll be okay. And that's how we get there. You know, it's conveniently he didn't talk about any heart issues. You know, you think you're good by just, you know, putting a couple behaviors, you ignore your heart. He ignores his own sin and compares himself to the worst of society. And that's what all of us do. We make this nice bar real low so we can step over it. And then what does he do next? He highlights all his good deeds. Just like everybody, well, I'm not as bad as the worst. And look at all the good things I do. I'm a good guy. I mean, I've done, everybody thinks this. I've never, I've done funerals. I've done a fair bit of funerals and no one has ever sat down. We've talked about the person like, man, that guy was a piece. That guy was rough. Every time we sit down and we talk about, oh, he was a good guy. You know, he was this kind of guy. And we do that to ourselves. Man, I'm a good guy. I'd give the shirt off my back. I'm gonna start asking people like, when have you actually ever given the shirt off your back? Well, never, never, just stop saying it. Like we just have these like nice things that make us feel good about ourselves. And what do we do? We look at bad people. And then here, you wanna know why you think you're good? You know, here's a good test too. Like when you watch the news and you hear about, you know, gangs or somebody robbing somebody, do you look at those people and say, man, look at those bad people and put yourself at a distance from them? That right there shows I don't think I'm bad because I put those messed up criminals in a category and I put myself in the other one and say, oh, look at those people. They're disgusting. Do you look at anybody in your life and go, oh, man, and you look at their sin and it seems bad and you other those people. If you don't identify with other sinners, that shows me you see yourself as good. And I don't care what lip service you use. Then you look at your resume of all the good stuff you've done and we assume I'm good. The only problem is we're not gonna stand before God all in one big courtroom. And that's what we think. Like humanity's gonna be on trial before judgment and all, you know, whatever billion of us and God just kind of weeds out the worst and says, oh, you guys weren't perfect, but get in here. 
You don't, it doesn't work that way. You're going to stand before God. How did the tax collector develop what I would ask of you to have a healthy, truer view of self? The bad person had a vertical standard. Where the Pharisee was looking at everybody else and comparing themselves to everybody else like we do, what did it say? Do you remember what the sinner, where was he looking? He couldn't even look up to heavens and had his face down. Here was his scale. It was God and me. And he wasn't worried about judging everybody else and comparing himself to everybody else. He knew in light of who God was that he fell short. That is your standard. I mean, how is this I'm a good guy holding up? When you look at Jesus, like perfectly loving, never once failed, never once selfish, and that is your standard of good, Can we still sit here and cling to this empty, yeah, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I give the shirt off my back. When you look at God, you will quickly see, as your standard is God, that you are not the person that you claim to be. And second, the only way we get there is we hide all of our shame and our mistakes. This guy, as you see, was honest about his sin. For this guy, it wasn't lip service. He wasn't just like, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. It's hard to translate into English. You notice that it said a sinner? Actually, in Greek, it is the, the definite article. He's not, I'm just not a sinner. I am the sinner. I mean, so many of you are trying to build a good reputation, trying to show everybody you're this good guy. The tax collector had no care for that. Picture this scene. You know how hard it'd be for this tax collector to come to church, knowing that people are going to be judging him like this? And then to go and sit down and hear somebody say, look how dirty that tax collector is. And what's his response? So many of our responses is, no, I'm not that bad or they don't know me. He just says, God, he's right. I am that sinner. I am that disgusting guy that everybody says I am. I'm not just a sinner. I'm the sinner. He doesn't hide his mistakes, pretend they're not there. He owns them. So I really want you to think through, particularly with us starting as, yes, I'm a good person. Or are you a bad person? Because understand how you see yourself, that determines how you approach God. And do you see how these men prayed differently, how they approached God differently? If you still want to cling to this, I'm a good person, I'd still have to just warn you of the road ahead. You know, you, what does it say about this man? He was righteous on his own. He's self-righteous. That's an easy thing to spot, right? But it's a hard thing to define. When we say it all the time, oh, you're so self-righteous. What are we saying? It means that you are right in and of yourself. It means that in myself, I am good. I am righteous on my own. I don't need God. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that, oh, Christians, just because they believe in right and wrong, it doesn't make anybody self-righteous. You become self-righteous when you say, there's a right and wrong, and I'm right. Now you are self-righteous. You're righteous within yourself. So looking at these two ways to view self, understand bad, it's grace and mercy is your only chance. The more you cling to, I'm a good guy, the only road ahead of you, let me warn you, is this performance and proving and hiding. Because a healthy view of yourself, you ain't fooling anybody. You're as messed up as we all are. But think about it. If I'm on the road, all of us need acceptance. And how do we get it? 
which is proving everybody, trying to show everybody that I'm this good person and trying to project that, because it's not even true, but I gotta project it, whether it be online or at work or whatever, I have to present this image of myself that's acceptable. You know what the big problem comes out, though? What happens when the true you leaks out? So what do you do with, like, the way that you actually view and treat women or men? And what do you do with, like, how you use the internet whenever nobody's around? Like, what do you do with those things? Oh, yeah, you're a good guy, you're a family guy, but what do you do with the way you flip out on your own kids and the way that you treat your spouse? Now, if you're a good person, you got one choice. I just hide it. Oh, I make excuses. I try to put, there's only two, there's only two ways to do this. And if you're a good person and you're in this proving and performance, you gotta project this good image and then when the real you leaks out, you just hide it. Yeah, let's just not talk about and hope nobody finds out about that thing that you did that nobody knows about or that, that, that thought that you have that nobody knows about. I mean, can you see that tiring journey that we're all on? Trying desperately for people to see that we're worthy, that we're acceptable, and hiding our shame. What is the result, not necessarily of how, even just how we approach God, what does it say, the Pharisee, how does it affect how we treat people? He was self-righteous and had contempt with other people. Why? If my road to self-acceptance is performance, how do I do that? I gotta look better than you. And so I have no choice then to make myself look good, to judge judge other people and make them look bad because this is the journey I'm on. It's always, you don't have to be religious. If you think you're a good person, you will be judgmental. Take it to the bank because you're on this road of performance and I gotta make other people look bad. Doesn't even necessarily mean I'm good, I just gotta be ahead of you. It's like, you know, if you're off in the woods and a bear's chasing you, it's like, look, I don't, I don't gotta be faster than a bear, I just gotta be faster than you. And that's how we all are just with our sin. Like, man, I may not be perfect, but if I can just make myself a little better than everybody else, then I guess I'm good. You're on that road. If you think you're a good person, you're judgmental, whether you know it or not, and you're trying to prove yourself. Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of trying to present yourself so you can get enough likes so you can be acceptable? That's the road you put yourself on. And the other option, you know, this guy, good people are self-righteous, but then the guy, the Christian that Jesus affirms, your other option is Grace. And this is, I debated on like literally making a soapbox and standing on it, but I'm already a little over the top, so I backed off. But if it helps you to picture me on a soapbox for this, go ahead. Anybody ever heard that like, oh, I don't like Christians, they're so self-righteous, they're so judgmental? Raise your hand if you ever heard that. We've all heard it. And let me tell you something that may be shocking. You have never met, you will never meet, it is impossible to meet a self-righteous Christian. And some are like, come on, you, you won't bet? I'll take you in my house right now. I'll introduce you. Now, granted, I'll give you this. Christians can act self-righteous. People who thought they were Christians are self-righteous. You cannot be a self-righteous Christian. By definition, a Christian who says, I'm not righteous. I need Jesus. So Christians, for you, those of you who get this, like how dare you be self-righteous? Like, where do we get off judging the world's sin or judging that sexual sin is worse than mine or judging this? 
The very core of what it means to be a Christian is to say, I'm a scumbag. Like, that's who I am. I need Jesus. How dare you look at the world, take your pick of a sin, and look down on it. You can't look down on it because you're not above it. But how many times do we miss that? It's crazy. All right, so let me hop off the soapbox. So don't you dare, don't we dare, be self-righteous. The whole, our whole shtick of being a Christian is acknowledging I'm not. And then, if that's the case, how then do you approach God? You've got no choice. You know you're not good. It's to throw yourself at God's mercy. The only way you could approach God, this guy's got to perform, you got one shot, pleading for mercy and forgiveness. Coming right off of this, Jesus takes us into how you approach God with the right view of self. Let me read this. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to himself and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So with a correct view of self, that you're a messy, busted sinner, how do you approach God then? Like a child. How does a child you know, approach God? What does that mean? A child is helpless. It is utterly dependent. Children cannot survive on their own. They are in desperate need. Do you see yourself that God needs to help improve you and you need God to help you? Or are you desperate because you understand, God, I can't do it. Every time I try to do it, I'm going to fail. God, I need you. That's your only bet. I think of like that person, you know, on the battlefield. You think of those movies that just got shot. You got one shot to cry out like, medic, God, help, I'm bleeding out. I'm done trying to pretend that I'm this good person that has it all together. I don't. Just, just surrender like a child and say, God, I've mucked it up. God, please help me. That's the way. The only way that you can approach God to humble yourself, it says he will exalt you or you can keep up with the charade. Yeah, I'm a good guy. And look at me. I do this. I give here. It's too tiring. Quit. But you've got to get to that place of acknowledging your real state before God. You're messed up. You only got one hope. And it's to plead the mercy of God. You notice what he asked for. When he asked for that, God, give me mercy. That's a beautiful word. It's this picture of atonement. It's just this idea of covering. If you think God needs to help you, you're sorely mistaken. You need God to cover you, to cleanse you, to forgive you. And that only happens when you're broken enough to repent. Your great hope is mercy, and you'll never cry out for it until you see your absolute need for mercy. But that takes courage, doesn't it? To admit to everybody else, you know what? I'm not the person you think I am. I'm not nearly, I'm telling you this, I mean this. I'm not nearly as good as every single person in this room, whatever you think of me. I'm not that good. I'm worse than that. 
And I could sit up here and try to live up and perform to other people's, but I love that he, he gets to the point he doesn't care what other people think. He doesn't care about there's hypocrites in the church. He just wants to experience that being approved by God. And even that, people pretend you don't need that. We all need approval to say, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks. You're either lying or you're a lunatic. Like, oh, you don't care what anybody else thinks. You spend a half hour, like, which selfie you're going to post, you know, on your, okay, yeah, you don't care what anybody thinks. We all do, and it's just a matter of, are you intentional about who can truly approve you and love you? And why don't we do it? I mean, anybody want to argue with me that God's grace and mercy is a better road than you trying to perform the rest of your life and trying to show the world that you're worthy of acceptance? Anybody want to argue that? No. So why don't we do it? That's a little scary, isn't it? To come out in front of everybody, your family, your coworkers, and to admit, you know what, I'm pretty messed up. And I put on a good show, but I'm broken. And here's the core fear. Again, we all need to be accepted. Why don't we do that? Why don't we lay ourselves bare and humble ourselves? This ultimate fear that if you really knew who I was, you would reject me. And I I wrestle with that lie. If you guys knew who I really was, you would reject me. And we think the same of God. And if I, like, lay myself bare, I'll be rejected. God would not love me once he sees how dark I am. One, God already knows, so we can move past that. But it's like that manhole cover in your driveway, in your street. It's that fear to really look at who I am, that if I kind of peel back that cover and I look down there, I don't know that I'll like it. And I don't think anybody else will. So I just cover it over and go back to pretending. The crazy thing is you feel like if I show the world that I'm unworthy, I'll be rejected. You want to know the crazy thing? It's then when you're finally ready to receive God. Because it's only when you humble yourself are you ready to experience his grace and mercy. I said almost everybody. I walked around to every table I could and asked him, you a good person or bad person? And I finally was kind of rolling through and got to the table in the corner. Hey, you know, sorry, is this something I was wrestling with? Can you answer this for me? You good or bad? We're bad. What'd you say? I had one table, and it shocked me. I didn't know what to do, so I just kind of asked, like, why? Why do you think you're a bad person? I said, well, I just know I'm not. And the other girl at the table just said, you know, I'd rather not say. I get that. So I said, tell me your deepest, darkest sin right now. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. (laughs) I'm not that weird. But, I mean, they're finally being honest. Again, she was willing, at least with herself, to be honest about her sin. And in light of that, instead of just comparing with other people and then kind of highlighting our good deeds... She knew, I'm just not. And that fear that she'll be rejected in that moment, that girl is far more ready than everybody in there to meet God. Every single other conversation, you know how it went, hey, I'm sorry, this is weird, but are you good or bad? Good? I'm like, okay, have a good day. I didn't, have a ta- I didn't really have a cap, so I didn't tip it, but it was, it was over. It was just like, 
Okay. I had one person that there was a spiritual, fruitful conversation. And it was that person that was honest, finally ready, like, you know what? I'm not. And that takes courage to be vulnerable. And I told him, hey, I'm writing a sermon. Here's what it was. And I went back upstairs and I was working. And I was so encouraged just 15 minutes later. You know, I kind of saw him get up ready to leave. And they kind of traipse up the stairs. And I t- that took a lot of courage, you know, to come up to this pastor. And they just said, hey, I don't interrupt you either, but what church is that? Hey, what, what are those times? You think if you admit you're bad that God is going to reject you. It's only then when you're finally ready to meet him. And the thing that we get uncertain of is will God receive me if he really knows me? That's the one certain thing in the story. The only thing that is uncertain is do you have the courage to look in the mirror and do you have the courage to humble yourself and say, God, I don't have it. And it's scary because nobody wants to be vulnerable and then be rejected. That picture of mercy, it's the word atonement to cover. The one thing you don't have to worry about is if you are honest and bring yourself before God and make yourself vulnerable, it's that he will cover you. I mean, that's the no-brainer in the story. Jesus said, now that person went home justified. That person, God looked at them and said, I know you're junk already. I know you fell short. You don't have to hide it from me. You have to give it to me and I'll take it away. I'll cleanse you. You just have to stop pretending you don't need me. Throw yourself at my feet. If you're in that place, I promise you, you don't have to worry if God will reject you, he will cover you. I want you, I've been challenged with this. I want you, even if you've received this or heard this before, to go on this journey. Just a Psalm 139 journey. I'm in a spiritual transformation class. And it says, if you would just, this week, pray that every day, God, would you search me and know me? And if there's anything offensive in me, I'm ready to see it. My job for you my hope for you is that you see yourself as horrible as you can today. You're welcome. Because here's the deal. The more messed up you are, the more in love with Christ you are. The more messed up you are, the more you throw yourself at him and frees you up to love other people. The more you're free to stop judging everybody else. Because you know, I don't have anything on you. What are you saying? You're better than me as a Christian? I'm saying no. I'm far worse than you. I'm just a beggar telling another beggar that I found bread. It's simple enough to understand. The question is, do you have the courage or do you have the faith enough to believe that if I show myself to God, that he will love me? I promise you, if you cry out for mercy, mercy you'll have. You bow your heads and pray with me. Father, it's courage that I ask for because nobody wants to do that. God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to peel back that cover and look because I know what I've done. I know what I feel. I know what I think when nobody's looking. And God, if you knew that, we're all afraid you walk away. God, thank you. God, that if we humble ourselves You will cover us. You will cleanse us. You will exalt us.
God, would we have the courage to have faith like a child and throw ourselves at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.